Have you heard about the carnivore diet? Okay, well, episode 310, we interviewed Dr. Al about the carnivore diet. Well, he, because of his cancer, basically went into a carnivore diet. At that show, he was two to three weeks into it. We couldn't help but do a follow-up. Wait till you hear the results of the carnivore diet, what he did, his doctor's feelings about this whole thing, um, the results, most importantly, but a wealth of knowledge. We talk about causative factors, but we talk about the how-to on a carnivore diet, which is really important. It's not what you think. But anyways, what a story uh, this is and one you're going to want to share. Check it out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome back an amazing guest. He was on episode 310. His name is Dr. Al Dannenberg, and he joined us last time to talk all about his unconventional cancer journey. He is here to share the next chapter and give us some updates. After his integrative protocols, his recent PET scan showed something remarkable, and I'll let him share what that is. So let's get started and welcome Dr. Al and, of course, Dr. Pompa to the show. Welcome, both of you. Oh, thank you so much, Ashley. I appreciate Al, it. So when you popped on the screen before we started recording, I said, he's alive. <laughs> and you said, I am alive <laughs> and kicking <laughs> and all that stuff. The reason I said it is because, hey, man, you were supposed to be dead long ago. What well, heck? December 2018, that's a long time ago. Yeah, you're, you're off the schedule here. Gosh, I know. I know. My well, oncologist up? is floored. Yeah. Literally well, floored. He said I, I he has wait. no patient. Number one, he has no patient that's not gone with chemotherapy that has had a result like I've had with the kind of... Um, unconventional protocols that I've created for myself. He's really amazed. Well, look, I, you know, I, I'm one to say, if you get to the cause, the body can heal. And uh, you've done some conventional things to help your body heal even faster. But we'll talk a little bit about this oral cavity is the cause of 85, 90% of most disease today, definitely most gut conditions. Um, and I believe it was one of your big discoveries. This is your background, for goodness sake. You know more about the oral cavity than most, that's for sure. Um, but obviously, you know, affecting you, I, I see driving cancer and other conditions often. But we'll, we'll get to that. But let's, this is part two. Um, yeah. We left off and you just started the carnivore diet. Okay, so, what is the carnivore diet? Start, start with what is it in case the people didn't see the first show, but go back and see the first show. The links is going to be here. You know, he just started, I think it was two or three weeks into the carnivore diet. And we said, we're going to do a show, check up on you because everybody thought you were nuts except me because I said, hey, well, isn't for cancer, all the plant-based diets, the key, right? And, you know, the Garson, the, the technique, diet, et cetera. And you and I were going, no, I would be no. doing the carnivore diet. All meat and fat, really? Fill us in, help us from there. Really, as a matter of fact, it's really real. Um, so prior to January 1st, 2020, I was on a paleolithic autoimmune diet. Great diet to help my body's immune system and support it with healing. And that was part of my cancer protocols. 
So I have several, and that was one of the major protocols. And I did some research, as you know, and we talked about um, what this carnivore diet may do, not just for chronic disease, but very specifically for cancer, which is what I have. And I have a terminal bone marrow cancer called IgA-kappa light chain multiple myeloma, which is much more complicated with my lytic lesions throughout my body. So not only do I have these malignant plasma cells running crazy, but in addition to that, I have so many holes in my bone structure that my bone, my skeleton can't support the weight of my body. And I've had pathological fractures more than you probably have fingers, but enough, quite enough pathological fractures. We can go into, I, I think we went into that already. Yeah, but, we, we did. Yeah. So, so when I did some research about the carnivore diet, and the carnivore diet is not a meat-only diet, by no stretch of the imagination, because meat-only, for most people, they think muscle meat. That is a very unhealthy diet. You need to have a combination of proteins that are animal-based. So it needs to be collagenous as well as muscle meat. But the more important element is actually the fats and the ratio of fat to protein in terms of grams is two to one. So I'm eating a hell of a lot of fat and I'm not gaining a pound. As a matter of fact, I've lost maybe five pounds along the way and I've not um, changed my lean bo body mass. And what's really nice, I've got plenty of energy plenty of energy until maybe 6, 6.30 in the evening, and then I start to conk out. But okay, I'm a sick guy, right? But still, I am doing really well. So it is basically a two-to-one fat to protein in terms of gram um, diet of muscle meat, organs, specific, organs are critical because that's where the nutrients are. Um, and fat and all the collagenous material. So I, that's what I eat. And I was doing that absolutely strictly for the first five plus months. And then I started to tweak it a little bit based on the diet that is used at the Paleo Medicina Clinic in Budapest, Hungary, where they actually are doing um, their patient or treating their patients that have severe chronic disease as well as cancer with this particular uh, paleolithic, they call it a paleolithic ketogenic diet, carnivore diet, uh, generally 100%, but they will go up to or down to 70% animal-based and 30% plant-based, basically pl plants that are um, adequate for a paleotype diet. And, and I think you're doing about 10%? Plant? Yeah, so I'm doing about 10% plants that are, have minor, uh, minor anti-nutrients and basically 90% carnivore at this point. But, it, but it, let's be clear, you did five months of just- Absolutely, 100%. fat, right, or you know, meat, et cetera. Right, oh, right. Okay. All right. Um, no problem. As a matter of fact, when you go to shop for a carnivore diet like that, it's an easy shop. There's only a few things that you buy. Um, so you have to create some variety in your life. But still, the beautiful thing is, it's so satisfying to eat these foods so you're not constantly hungry. I don't snack at all. There is no snacking whatsoever because I'm not hungry. No. And I basically start my meal 
12, one o'clock in the uh, afternoon. I have my dinner maybe at 6.30-ish. Um, and that's it. Uh, I, I really don't do anything other than drink quite a bit of um, water. So, okay, let, this is what people want to know. Okay, so, you know, tell us, bring us through what this five months look like, your health condition. And, and again, uh, you know, your, your doctors are just like, what? I, you know, not only is he alive, he's thriving. You know, so take <laughs> us through what the carnivore diet did for you, the changes, what you felt, what, what were the changes in your bone, your cancer, your PET scan, take us through. So I have, I, I see my oncologist every month. They do traditional blood work, which is basically CBC and blood chemistries. And every two to three months, they do very specific cancer blood work, looking at the um, uh, unnatural antibodies, which are the IgA antibodies in my case, that are being produced by my malignant plasma cells. And for the most part, my blood chemistries are all within normal range, which is kind of amazing because with all these holes in my body, I should be having significant calcium in my uh, um, blood um, studies, and I don't. I don't have any calcium that's above the limits. Uh, generally, it's right in the middle of the range. And I don't have um, alkaline phosphatase problems or any of the other chemistry problems. So basically, my chemistries are good. My CBC is good. Well, I mean, and, most people would be like, isn't his cholesterol going up because of all of that? Well, I've never been concerned about cholesterol. Me anyhow, either. So that, it's not, that's why I said it with such... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yes. it's, it's, my cholesterol is important for my hormone production. Yes, you know, absolutely. everybody, all the males that have problems with cholesterol also have erectile dis, uh, dysfunction. I mean, it's crazy. Anyhow, in, in, in my opinion, this diet has allowed my immune system to really be supported and has done a tremendous job in improving my ability um, to even with, withstand normal infections. I theoretically am at high risk. When I saw my oncologist maybe two or three months before the COVID thing started, he and his um, PA, his, his uh, physician's assistant, came into the room. They were wearing masks. They had, they were drooling and sneezing. They had red eyes. And they told me that they had a bad case of the flu, but they needed to be there. Of course, they took the flu shot. Uh, that's another issue. And, and so I thought I was going to be in this room. My immune system is so compromised, I'm going to get sick. I never got sick. And, it, and, and I believe everything I'm doing has really supported my immune system. There's not a really good test to, to determine if your immune system is really healthy other than not getting sick. It's true. And, yeah. And I'm not getting sick. So we go along. My blood chemistries are good. I'm never in remission, by the way. And I will never tell anybody I have a cure for cancer. I just have a, a series of protocols that really are improving my immune system. And I think that's the bottom line to everybody's yeah. health. Yeah, of course. So what's going on with your bone? I mean, uh, I remember, you know, obviously you, uh, you know, multiple fractures, the bone. So, you know, what's the bone? How's it healing? And, you know, what do your doctors say about that? I do not have a current bone scan. I do have the bone um, CT, which was part of the PET scan, which where which was where they injected me with radioactive glucose to look for cancer cells. So that was in May of 2000, 
uh, 20. And, and what we were doing at that point, my oncologist said, let's just see how much cancer is throughout your body. Because we had a PET scan when I was diagnosed in September 2018, one in June of 2019, and this was the third one in a row. So we had that. I had that. It was on a Friday morning. He, my oncologist called me Friday night, and he said to make sure my wife gets on speakerphone. I said, George, okay. Um, and he's reading the pathology on uh, the um, radiologist report. And the radiologist is saying there are no active cancer cells in my entire body. And I said to George, wait a minute, read that again read that again and of course my wife is crying I am kind of off the floor floating and basically there are no cancer cells now the in reality that's not true because the PET scan is only looking at right. moderate to large amounts of cancer cells and clumps so I don't have those anymore but I did and now there are probably these malignant plasma cells that may be dying or maybe um, dead already, and they're still producing all these uh, abnormal IgA antibodies, and they're still floating around. So it, there's going to be several months before maybe that clears out, if it clears out. But I, I got to tell you, I feel fantastic. And if I will go for the next 20 years and still not be in remission, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Not a problem. Yeah, it's remarkable your attitude through it out on all, you know, it's just, it really is. I, I'm always just fascinated by it. Uh, you give people a lot of hope. You really do, Al. Well, there are always ways to deal with things. And, you know, there's a lot to be said with stress and emotion because, you know, you can be the healthiest person around but you're under emotional stress, it's going to affect your entire system, especially the epithelial barrier of your gut. You're going to have LPS leaking out because of the stress. You're going to have metabolic endotoxemia. And it doesn't matter how healthy you are, that's, that stress is going to do it. So if you can control stress, and of course, have a significant other that really supports you, and I do, my wife is amazing, and she picks me up when I'm down, and I can get really down, by the way. Um, so, so that has been really, I think, a major factor in why I'm doing as well as I do, I'm doing with my other protocols, like I said. Yeah, that's awesome. God, God has your life for a reason. Now. I don't think he's taking you out anytime soon. Your message is too important. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, honestly. So what, what did you like, you know, feel? Uh, you know, you transitioned. We spoke to you, like I said, two or three weeks into it. And you had said, you know, it was a little rough in the beginning, right? And then yes. you were just breaking through, I think, when we spoke to you. How did it break through? Like, you know what I'm saying? What, what did you, what were some of the most significant changes? Uh, great great question. And, and um, I have to think back a little bit. One, several things that were happening um, had a little bit to do with bowel movements, although I never had a bowel movement problem before the carnivore diet. And I think maybe I had some issues for the first week or two, but nothing severe. Because when, when I'm on the paleo autoimmune diet, you know, I, I'm basically uh, fat adapted anyhow. So it's not like I have these carbs, uh, a withdrawal from carbohydrates. I, yeah, I, I haven't been 
a junkie food eater for over seven years. Although I was, but for the last seven years, I've been really excellent. So I think that maybe there was a transition because of the very high level of fats. I remember years ago, I was um, convincing my brother, my, my brother, my son-in-law to drink some uh, bulletproof coffee that I made. And I made it with a lot of fat and he never had fat in his coffee <laughs> and he had diarrhea all day. I mean, you know, when you have this high level of fat uh, in your diet, yeah. your, your gut is gonna talk to you a little bit. Yeah. And I think that was the main problem. Okay. Other than that, I really experienced great energy, great clarity. I never had problems with sleeping and I never did during the carnivore diet in the early stages. I, I can't tell you that I had a specific problem other than maybe some bowel movement issues in, for the first week or two. Yeah, that, that's great. Well, give us a day of your eating. Give us, you know, what it sure. looks like. Take us from you get up and what you do. Matter of sure. fact, take us through a day of your life, actually, Alan. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's boring for most people because I'm not getting out. I can't, uh, I do walk, for example. So first thing in the morning, and when I say first thing in the morning, it's very hot and sticky in Charleston, South Carolina. So first thing in the morning is like 6.30 to 7 a.m. for me. I will get out and walk about a mile. Um, that's impressive for me. Uh, no, I was going to say, I mean, you have to understand, there was a time when Al walked, he would just fracture hips and femurs. <laughs> well, because of those fractures, I was in hospice, ready to die in September of 2019. Yeah. So I've along, come a long way. So, but I've got some things in my legs to support me because of the fractures, but I walk about a mile um, a day. I have a mile that I've uh, tracked um, off that I can... Uh, identify, I walk it, I love it, and I do that. I also do during the day, and it's not every day, but I, maybe three to four times a day, I do some modified squats and modified push-ups. And that's a little compl complicated because of the fractures in my femurs. And then my, um, I have a right humerus that was fractured that never was set. So I have this complication, but I do it and I don't have any problem with it. And, and that's what I do every day to every third day. Now, I do love my coffee. So I have my pressed coffee in the morning. I make it with two tablespoons of collagen peptides, two tablespoons of heavy raw cream, because we can get raw milk in Charleston, South Carolina. And I make it with um, two tablespoons of my own ghee that I make from grass-fed butter. Wow. So there's a lot of fat in my coffee. Uh, I love it. I mean, I love it. I drink basically 16 ounces, two cups in the morning. I kind of sip on it for an hour or two, but I love it. And then I'm not eating until one-ish o'clock. My breakfast or, or the first meal, uh, although some people will say if you had collagen peptides, you had a meal already, but um, my first real meal that I'm chewing would be, for example, today I had liver pate, which is phenomenal. It has a four to one fat to protein ratio, and it's made with some really good stuff. I get it at Whole Foods. 
and I had that and some salmon roe. So you actually buy the liver pate though? Yeah, I can make my own liver pate and I do that sometimes, but this is pork liver and chicken liver um, that is made with some seasonings, maybe some onions, I think, and a couple other things, and that's it. Hmm. Um, very, very excellent, and it's a quick kind of eat, so I do that. Tonight, we are, uh, I will prepare for dinner. I'm going to have some ground beef. And let me tell you the ground beef that I get, which is really amazing. There's a farm in Florida that raises grass-fed, grass-finished Wagyu beef. Oh my God, it is amazing. I so want Wagyu, that resource, I want that resource. I will send you with that and that article, yeah. yeah. Um, farm in Florida, I'm making a note. Uh, that farm, well, Wagyu beef has a great flavor. It yeah. is definitely distinct. It has yeah. higher fat content. And actually, there is a much higher omega-3 fatty acid content than regular grass-fed beef, which is, which is high in omega-3. So it's even higher than that. But they, they have all kinds of cuts, and I just get a variety that I like. I get the fattier cuts like um, um, asubuco and cowtail or oxtail. Um, some short ribs. These are really fatty, and they're ground beef, which is great, and sometimes prime, prime rib. So tonight I'm going to take this ground beef, and I'm going to saute it with some Himalayan salt. I put a little sprinkle of kelp granules just to make sure I have some iodine, and um, I will maybe season it with some freshest shiitake and uh, organic onions that I'll chop up and cook with it, and that those veggies, um, they're very, very small in amount, and they are appropriate for the, at least the paleomedicina philosophy of a carnivore diet, which I, I agree with. So that'll be it. I will have maybe some fruit. I'll have some cherries, maybe four or five cherries. Cherries are great. They, they are low in oxalates. They have maybe one gram a carb per cherry. Yeah. So five cherries, not going to do anything to me, but I like that little taste. And that'll be it. So I'll drink. And, and before that, you just would have had the meats. the, the, the Yes, without the, the cherry, without the, the onions. Fats. Yeah. Right. yeah. No, no vegetable when you're pure. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And yeah. my only seasoning would be Himalayan salt. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I will drink plenty of water when I'm thirsty all day long. And I love Fiji um, artesian water from France. I like the, the natural spring waters. That Fiji is really a nice flavor for me, so I like it. I like the flavor too. Um, when, you when you switch from pure carnivore to adding in 10% the vegetables, some of those little, those fruits, um, what did you notice? Did you notice anything? Um, no, I didn't, but I gotta tell you something exciting and let me show you my I'm thinking arm. like you started getting more gas maybe or in the no, 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 and no. it wasn't, okay. th th those vegetables and fruits really didn't have a lot of fiber either. Yeah, yeah, I just thought maybe, you no, know. No, I, I did not, but let me show you. I have a CGM on my arm. Ah. And I am experimenting, this is an, I'll write about this in a couple weeks. I am experimenting on my glucose control as a cancer patient, but it's fascinating. For example, I experimented with raw manuka honey. Raw manuka honey is okay with carnivore. First of all, it's an animal-based food. And I took, which is very interesting, I took 
um, two tablespoons of manuka honey. That's a lot of honey. And ate it. And my glucose was about 85 to 88. I'll tell you about my, my glucose normally. Yeah. Um, 85 to 88 at that point. It spiked to 154 Whoa. in an hour and a half and dropped down to the low 80s within another hour. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now it was on a, basically an empty stomach. And, and how did you feel with when that spiked? Um, I didn't feel anything different. Okay. Not a thing different. Now here's another interesting thing. When you are on a very low carb or a carnivore diet, your resting glucose, blood glucose is significantly higher than you think it should be. Mm-hmm. And there are some studies that show that. And it's very interesting. Here's my philosophy about this. Um, I'm not sure if it's accurate or not, but my body um, needs some glucose and it knows how to make glucose when it doesn't have it from gluconeogenesis. So because I'm not eating any carbs, it's going to raise my level of glucose. So when I wake up in the morning, my glucose is around 105 to 110. Oh, so you're that the dawn effect, typically the dawn effect may be low 90s for people, but meaning the dawn effect, folks, is I'm talking, you know, it's normal to have cortisol go up and glucose to be a little higher in the morning than the rest of the day. But yours went up to maybe 10 points higher than normal. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it stays stable at a, that high level in the middle of the night. And that's why the CGM is interesting because it's, it's showing that it's maybe 110 to 115 while I'm sleeping. That's a lot. Oh. How, and I think that may be normal for me. But is, this is interesting. So when I have my coffee, and, and I only know this because I'm wearing the CGM and I'm looking at the results every five minutes because it records every five minutes. Coffee made it go down. Yeah. So exactly. So all we this, see that. Yeah. this, all this fat dropped it to 85. So my normal level was like a hundred to 110 dropped to 85. And then it stayed basically where it was. And then I have lunch and I have lunch with zero carbs today. And it stayed maybe at a hundred to 104. And after I ate, it only peaked to 107, 109. And uh, you know, and so what's your theory? My theory is that when I eat the, the fat, I'm producing ketones and my body's doing very happy and he doesn't need any exogenous or not exogenous, um, endogenous glucose, uh, gluconeogenesis. So it's not doing anything with glucose and it's got all the ketones at once. So when I yeah. look at my ketone levels, um, when I drink the coffee and after the coffee, my ketone levels are moderate. But as the day progresses, it goes down, my glucose level goes up. Yeah, so I mean, the, the body, it can only use sugar or fat for energy. So when you're not eating in the middle of the night, um, your body makes glucose, which it knows how to do. Um, you know, I mean, here's the thing you have to understand is you're, because people might say, well, it's, yeah, but he's losing muscle because it's gluconeogenesis, he's losing muscle, but you haven't lost muscle. So if, if it did use muscle or protein, it's only using bad muscle or protein, let's be clear, right? You know, th- via breaking it down via autophagy. And, but 
the liver is producing it gluconeogenesis other methods obviously just to, just for energy it's raising up your glucose it can use anything to get it, my theory here is is because your body wants to do nothing but survive and the innate intelligence does this so it doesn't want to use your major fuel source so it doesn't want to tap into the fat if it doesn't have to so it will make glucose for you to burn other methods as we're talking about via gluconeogenesis and it will keep that glucose out there for you to use because your brain needs it. Your brain can't use fat. It'll use ketones or that. So to the point, when you eat fat, it'll make the ketones. Your brain's happy with that. And your body will use some of the ketones as well. But I, 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 that's what I think is happening. So I, I guess we're on target. I agree. And, and, and the, the muscle mass... Um is very important for the body. The fat is not as important. So I think the fat would be um, metabolized to get um, what it needs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the body needs glucose, right? The brain needs glucose. So, um, it, but it wants to hold on to your fat, you know, because it knows it's a good lifeline, right? I mean, it, you know, with that visceral fat, not, you're not fat, right? But when I speak of fat, I'm talking about visceral fat. The body goes, I might need this. So yeah, let's it's a make storage it unit. other ways. Let's, yeah. you know, let, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, so it's interesting. And, and this CGM, I think, is very telling because it helps people, for me, understand um, variation in glucose is normal and it's okay. And to, to be at 70 or 80, which everybody thinks is, is ideal, maybe, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, I, I like the idea my body knows when it spikes how to use the insulin properly and get rid of the glucose. And then the insulin, I'm sure, goes away quickly because the number drops precipitously. So uh, it's, yeah. I think it's effective. And hmm. um, this, is, this is where I am right now. So I'm doing a little educating myself about glucose and its metabolism. But of course, I'm thinking that my body is very satisfied with all the nutrients I can get in the carnivore diet. And you know, from the research that I read from specifically Paleomedicina Clinic, because they've, they've treated 5,000 patients since, since 2011. And these are not rats and mice. These are human beings that have severe chronic disease and incurable cancer. Let me tell you this um, case study that they just published and I'm not sure if you saw it or I don't think I told you about it because I just recently read it. 52-year-old um, man who was uh, previously diagnosed with glioblastoma. He had conventional treatment with radiation, surgery, and chemotherapy. Went into remission maybe for a couple months, and then it came back. And they were start the, the conventional um, medical people we're going to start him on the same regimen, and he rejected that. He went to Paleomedicina Clinic in Budapest, Hungary. They put him on the Paleolithic ketogenic diet, strict carnivore diet, no plants whatsoever, no medicines, no supplements. Their report was after 38 months of him being with no progression or symptoms and living functionally normally. Now that's glioplastoma, 38 months carnivore diet. 
Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And they have many reports like this, but this is the longest running report that they've uh, published that I could find. And this report is very interesting because they go into the details why they think it is the way it is. So let, let's, let's answer this for people. I'll let you answer this for people. Wait a minute. Don't you need vitamins and mineral, all the stuff that plants offer, all the phytonutrients, the vitamin C, et cetera? You're going, you have cancer. And what I've heard, I'm speaking for people, yeah. What I've heard is, you know, for cancer, you need all these vitamins and antioxidants and think you're getting none of that or that gentleman for 38 months got none of it. I mean, Al, how do you explain that? Because all the cancer diets are high plant diets and they're, matter of fact, only plant diets, vegetarian, vegan diets. What's your answer? Here's what's amazing. The animals that I'm eating have a digestive tract to digest the anti-nutrients in plants. That's what they eat. <laughs> they, have, they have a very short, uh, small intestine, but a very long, large intestine, and a cecum where all the plant material is digested and the anti-nutrients are destroyed, and all the nutrients are absorbed in their fat, their organs, and their muscle meats, and the collagenous material in their bodies. And these nutrients, are the bioactive nutrients that we think we're getting from plants. What we get from plants are these bioactive nutrients superimposed with the anti-nutrients that are competing with our ability to process them. I think, here's what I think. <laughs> we have a DNA code. Interestingly, it has evolved for 160,000 years at least, if you believe in evolution, which I do. And this code knows exactly what it requires. We need to eat, we need to drink, we need to breathe. These are things that we can't deny ourselves of or we're gonna die. That's one extreme of the pendulum. The other extreme of the pendulum of the DNA code is that our DNA knows that it has never created the enzymes or the efficiency to get rid of poison in our body. Now, poison can be defined in a lot of ways, but whatever that irritates and punctures our body continuously is poisonous. It's like taking a splinter in your finger and removing it and the skin heals. Yeah, it will. But if you take that splinter and keep stabbing it in the same puncture hole, the skin never heals. So if you put the same junk in your gut and you breathe the same air that is contaminated, you're gonna constantly irritate your body. And I believe our DNA does not allow that. And we keep doing that. So what we're doing in a carnivore diet is that we're eating all these biologically active nutrients that when you eat the meat and the fat and the organs get absorbed in our body. These are the theoretically the phytonutrients minus the anti-nutrient components that are in the plants. Here's another very interesting thing. Vitamin C is critical for health. Not so sure that vitamin C in capsules and liposomes, uh, uh, li liposomal and all kinds of vitamin C may be the ideal. The ideal vitamin C for humans is the vitamin C in liver. 
The mm -hmm. vitamin C in liver is actually heat stable. Vitamin C from plants, which is a slightly different chemical, isn't heat stable. Heat will destroy vitamin C in oranges, but heat will not destroy the vitamin C in liver. And when you're not eating the carbohydrates, because glucose competes with vitamin C to get into the cell, if you're not eating all this glucose, the vitamin C has no problem getting into the cell, especially if it's coming from a highly biologically active source, which would be liver, which is very interesting. The same thing with magnesium. Magnesium competes with glucose to get into the cell. If you're not eating a lot of glucose, overly carbohydrate type of diet, then the magnesium has no problem to get into the cell. Now I eat, I eat organs, I eat bone marrow. I mean, I'm, I'm eating a lot of this real, but I'm also eating it in desiccated forms from animals that have been grass fed and grass finished. So I'm getting all these nutrients and I think that's a very critical part. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. If I'm just eating ribeye steak every night, that's not gonna cut it. Yeah, because to your point, that's why it's two to one fat because the fat is really what holds the nutrients. Yeah. The animal yeah. ate, so the animal brings in the nutrients, makes them super bioavailable, stores them in the fat and you're eating the fat. Uh, you know, of course, that, that is, I mean, you know, the body, survives i mean we know the hundreds of people were eating mostly fat throughout their you know throughout their winters you right? know when you say that that there there are some studies from um paleolithic times that have done nitrogen testing to determine where this protein is coming from plants or animals and most of it is coming from animals and and this yeah. is stuff that's been published in very well respected medical journals around the world I think there is a reason why plant-based foods are so popular. There's an industry that makes a lot of money on processing plant-based foods. I mean, when you can go to a fast food restaurant and get a plant-based burger, that's the ultimate in marketing plant-based foods. And I think that there is not as much money in the real animal products as there is in packaged, processed plant foods. Um, yeah. There may be other reasons. Certainly, uh, listen, I think a vegetarian diet and a vegan diet is far healthier than the standard American diet. So, I mean, there are degrees of what you need and what you yeah, don't I mean, and you know, and you know my philosophy, moving in and out of some of those diets periodically is what nature forced, you know, in the past. You know, I mean, I, but I, I want people to understand you know, that our bodies, you know, I think need these times of changing up the nutrients like we're talking about. We need variety. We need yeah. challenges in our body. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and likewise, I mean, going to a plant-based diet can be very challenging. There are toxins in there, plants, lectins or toxins, you know, phytates. I mean, all of those things are little toxins. And then moving to an all-meat diet because the increased fat, or I should say a carnivore diet with all the fat. Um, is a new stressor, right? That changes the microbiome. In that 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 shifting can be can be good. But you know, um, you know, I, I have to say, you know, we, we have to get back. And I want to touch on this again here in the last moments because I, I want people to hear how important cause is. You've dedicated part of your life to this research, and I. And, and by the way, we're going to provide the links to some of your articles brilliant article writer. If I could only write as eloquent as Al, I'll tell you, he is great. He is a great researcher, great writer. We're going to make sure we have 
all of those links. Ashley will we'll put them up. You have to go read his stuff, folks. You do. Um, just absolutely brilliant. But you know, but the other part of your research um, is this this oral component, which I stand. You know, I, I feel like oftentimes in functional medicine is this guy who keeps telling people, "Oh my gosh, we have to look here." Hidden infections, obviously amalgam fillings. People get that more. Right. But you know, you and I resonate so solid on this, and you know, this is your background. Um, and you know, infection. I mean, what do you think the cause? How much disease is this causing? Obviously, it led to a lot of what you're battling. So here is my philosophy from my reading research. I'm not done actual studies on animals or humans in this regard, but reading. I think everything starts in the gut. And here's why I say that. The gut microbiome is so critical. It affects the epithelial barrier of the gut. And inside the gut lumen is lipopolysaccharides, which are normal for the gut, but totally toxic to the human body if it leaks into the bloodstream. And when there is a change in the gut microbiome with food, with chemicals, with um, dirty electromagnetic fields, poor sleep, emotional distress, over-exercising, there's so many factors that affect the microbiome. But once that microbiome changes and the mucus layer is affected and the epithelial barrier is damaged and LPS and other junk that's not fully or other substances that are not fully digested leak into the bloodstream, the immune system goes haywire and it stays in a chronic state and it can't mount a defense when something really severe comes into the body because in a, it's in a constant chronic state. But what happens is there's a change in the chronic systemic inflammation and the change in the overall health of the immune system. That change affects the mouth. And there are maybe 700 or so potential species of bacteria in the mouth that are in a wonderful homeostatic balance. We know that when we look at skeletal remains of 10 or 20,000 years ago in humans, we can see jawbone relatively intact, tooth structure relatively decay-free, but tartar around the root surface near the bone, which is the dental plaque that has calcified. And the reason there's no damage to the tooth and no damage to the bone to, for the most part is because that bacteria is in a state of balance. Dental plaque, here's, this is gonna floor you or somebody, I'm sure, dental plaque is healthy until it's not. You right. don't want to remove dental plaque because here's what dental plaque does. First of all, the tooth is the only structure in the body or the, the, the tooth gum unit is the only area in the body where a hard substance pierces the epithelium and goes into the inner structures of the bone which are basically sterile and that that pathway needs to be protected or any pathogens in that area will slide down like a sliding board into the internal structure of the body. So what happens is our, our bodies have created a healthy biofilm called dental plaque. And that dental plaque surrounds and attaches to where the gum tooth margin is. And that dental plaque does three things. It's the gatekeeper to, keep, to take minerals from the saliva 
and it passes it to the root surface and remineralizes the root as necessary, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The other thing that dental plaque does is that it creates, because it's so many species, a variety of hydrogen peroxide that literally kills other potential pathogenic bacteria in the mouth from getting into this very critical gum tooth margin. And the third thing it does is it has some chemical buffers that protects the surface of the root so that it is not too acidic. So it maintains a pH of 5.5 or or more alkaline rather than- Oh yeah, so what you're saying is the plaque is like firemen in a fire, meaning Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're there doing a reason, right? You know, be, it don't kill the firemen because they're actually there. It just so happens that every time there's these fires, these guys in the red coats are there, but you know, they're not causing the fire. Correct. So when the gut is dysbiotic and we have chronic inflammation, the immune system is somewhat compromised, this garden of bacteria starts to change. And yeah, some of, of the potential pathogenic bacteria that are not a problem when they're in balance have the potential to overgrow, especially for eating the foods that support that growth of bad bacteria. Then you have unhealthy dental plaque. That's right. when dental disease occurs. Now that's the first time most practitioners see a problem. They see the inflammation in the mouth and they say, wow, this mouth is causing disease in the body. Well, that's only 50% true. It's only the second nidus of infection. The first was the gut. And here's what I, what I believe. There has been a study that was published in 2010 that showed that 94% of the US population has some form of gingival inflammation. That is gingivitis, that is infection. Now, that may not kill you, but it is infection. And the only reason they have that, in my opinion, is something has gone wrong with the gut. You don't have to have stomach problems, you don't have to have bloating or diarrhea or Constipation doesn't have to be symptomatic gut problems. It's just that inflammation has gotten into the circulatory system. Right. And basically, that solution is to treat the mouth, but also to treat the gut. And there are hidden things in the mouth that most people don't even see, even dentists, like failing root canals that are not painful for the patient, but there's changes in the bone structure. Oh, or the right. Root no, I mean... We, we have this, and it goes the other way around, right? You have these root canals that people have and you can't fix the gut. We get a root canal out, boom, microbiome changes. Absolutely, so you're you know? starting to balance things now yeah. because everything, it, you're not getting a change in the gut microbiome by swallowing the bacteria. That's a misnomer because the stomach acid kills the bacteria, right. but the bacteria can seep into the bloodstream under the gum pocket, Absolutely. which is called a leaky periodontal pocket. It can get into the lymph and eventually get back into the circulatory system. And what is very unrecognized um, is that all this inflammation and infection can travel the myelin sheaths of nerves as mm -hmm. it travels to other areas in the bone that don't even go through the circulatory system. So there's a lot of ways that this- And, and by happen. the way, that's why there's certain teeth represent problems in certain areas. This is my impression of meridians. I think the meridians are nothing more than the nerve canal, the nerve channels where the bacteria is transmitting instantaneously. I've, I've said the same thing. Yeah. I think that we need to write a paper about that because yeah. I've tried to research that and I can't find that anywhere. Well, you but know, I, it's just funny. We just had, I had a, um, a, a client here locally seeing the dentist who's local and 
you know, and I was saying these bacteria that kept forming here were affecting her knees, right? And so he just went up and just put some procaine in that area. Right. Within one minute, all her knee pain was gone. <laughs> now, he made the point, it won't last until we get this infection out. But the infection, we're literally traveling those nerves. I mean, that's it's what It's a great educational really tool and yeah. diagnostic tool. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Now, yeah. here's something that I think anybody that's a practitioner can do to determine if there's active gum inflammation and infection. Just looking at the gum tissue doesn't always do it. When you brush and floss, it may bleed, it may not bleed, but you still may have infection. But here's the little gadget that works really well. These are called um, TP, TP uh, interdental brushes. These are very little brushes, look like a toothpick, but they're in silicone fi um, uh, filaments that you clean between the teeth by scrubbing in and out. These little filaments stimulate the gum surface between the teeth. If there's any inflammation, you will get bleeding in yeah. that area. And anybody could say to their patient, and it, not being a dentist, they could say, take these and clean between the teeth and let's see if there's any bleeding, especially in the back of your mouth, which is where most people have bleeding, but they're not able to see it. And if there is any pink or bleeding on any of the, these areas, from these areas, uh, stimulated by that little brush, it's a telltale sign that there's gum infection. If you can't treat it, that's fine, but get them to the right biological dentist you know, to get that taken care of. And you might have cavitation, which a tooth was pulled, a wisdom tooth, and it holds infection, which you and I had this, have had this conversation. That was me, you know, I mean, I had one I didn't know, and I used to form all this plaque as a protector, right? And now I form no plaque at all, but I got rid of these infections. It had a dramatic effect on, I mean, even like, you know, my resting blood pressure. I mean, so many things that have- Well, just think about it. This infection, although it may not cause pain, sometimes it does, but it doesn't cause pain. This is constantly stimulating your immune system, cytokine reaction constantly. Your immune system is constantly being overworked just to try to treat this and it's not doing a good job and you have some chronic systemic inflammation. Once that is gone, your whole immune system can be re-energized, re which is what our bodies really need today. Yeah, now I, I agree. Well, listen, now we're out of time. I can't believe that that was so fast. What, wow. what a, just a, what a breath of uh, knowledge from pain to purpose story. Thank you for sharing with us. We're going to have to have a part three. We got to just keep following up with you, Al. Because Here I am. Great. You're wonderful. And thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Man. Reach out to Al, uh, his contact information's uh, here. But Al, go ahead and just voice where uh, you'd love people to go. Well, my website, drdannenberg.com, D-R-D-A-N-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. If you go to the little navigation bar and hit contact and send me an email with a question, I answer all my email questions. Oh, no problem. he does. All right, Al, thanks for being on. Have awesome. a great day. Thanks. Take care. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which was brought to you by Fastonic Molecular Hydrogen. Please check it out at getfastonic.com. We'll be back next week and every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. We truly appreciate your support. You can always find us at cellularhealing.tv. And please remember to spread the love by liking, subscribing, giving an iTunes review, or sharing the show with anyone who may benefit from the information heard here. And as always, thanks for listening.